Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus. And together, we are the Minimalists. Kitchen clutter seems to invade our counters, cabinets, and refrigerators with ease. But it's not really out of sight, out of mind, because the longer we hide all that clutter, the more it stresses us out. Today on the Public Podcast, we're going to discuss decluttering our way to a simple kitchen, a kitchen that helps us nourish our bodies with our friend Max Lugavere, author of the new cookbook, Genius Kitchen. I'll hold it up here if you're watching on YouTube. It's a cookbook with tons of simple recipes, but also it's much more about nourishing your body. It's not just about, uh, well, it's not just about cooking. We'll get into the book here in a moment. This Thursday on the Minimalist Private Podcast, Max, Ryan, and I, we're going to talk about the most minimalist foods, what foods to eat and what foods to avoid for simple health. Max is also going to critique all of our office snacks. <laughs> I had Malabama bring them up here. And Max, I want you to go in. I want you to go in hard. I saw him yeah. pile it up. I was like, oh, Milburn must be hungry. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all can check but that out on patreon.com slash The Minimalist. Your support keeps our podcast and YouTube channel 100% advertisement free because advertisements suck. Max, welcome back to the show, brother. Honored to be yeah, back. Man. Thank you guys for having me. Dude, it's great to have you. Welcome to the new studio. Beautiful. Thank you. Thanks. I, I um, I've been eager to have this conversation because I think one of the places that clutter really builds up in our homes are places where it's easy for us to hide clutter. Mm. The kitchen. And so... Quite often, we can have a pristine-looking kitchen, but then all of a sudden, we're just cramming stuff into shelves, and the more storage space we have, yeah. the more opportunities we have for cluttering our lives. Yeah. And I think that's especially true in the kitchen space. And so, this is a listener-driven show. I thought we would get right to our questions, and we could talk about some of this kitchen clutter. Our first question today is from Melanie on Facebook. What kitchen appliances are essential for healthy eating at home? Hmm. Air, fryer. air fryer air <laughs> fryer <laughs> next question air fryers are great air fryer they, they you can cook whatever you want in minimal mm -hmm. time without uh added oils and stuff like that so it's from a health standpoint i'm definitely pro oh air fryer. that's great I, I was like i was just kind of throwing a joke out there because i feel like my every, brother just got one he, he loves it oh uh, yeah mariah and i have one too we use it all we used it last night but it's funny how like every two years i feel like there's always this appliance that comes out that's like the in vogue thing so before air fryers it was the uh the pot not the instant, oh, the instant pot, pot. Yeah, the instant pot. <laughs> yeah right and then before the instant pot it was what i don't know george foreman grill or something i, I was gonna know. say the george yeah. foreman grill but then i was like nervous that that was gonna date me that, that was like <laughs> that came out in the 90s or something yeah. right Dude, that, yeah yeah it did it did anyway anyway well can we talk about this max so i think when we're talking about the essential appliances, what we really want to talk about is what is not essential? What is a lot of junk that we put into our kitchens? Mm. I mean, I think the average person could go to their kitchen right now and they find a bunch of things they haven't used in the, in the last 90 days. They're yeah. not going to use in the next 90 days. That's mm. our seasonality rule. That's probably a good indicator that you can let go of it. But what are some things? I'm thinking bread maker right away. Right? <laughs> well, For some reason, I got three bread makers <laughs> during my uh, my wedding. Yeah, interesting. I don't eat bread, so that's a problem. <laughs> interesting. 
Well, I feel I, feel, I don't want to offend anybody. I mean, uh, you know, rice cooker is one of those things that's probably extraneous. Like you mm-hmm. can easily make rice with a pot and a lid. Yeah. I used to before I bought a water boiler, I was boiling water to make my coffee in a in a saucepan. And every time my assistant would come over, she'd make fun of me because <laughs> it you know it just looks it's like such a humble way to do things. But I actually found it to be pretty. Uh, fun to do that because I have a what's called a thermopen. It's like this instant read thermometer, which no you don't necessarily need, but I do think that it makes life better in the kitchen. It's mm. also really cool to have, especially if you're a food nerd like I am. Mm. And so I would make sure that the water that I was boiling, because you could easily test the water temperature, was 200 degrees, which is the perfect temperature to make coffee. Mm. You don't want to go above that. You don't want to go below it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, de- I mean, when when thinking about things to get out of the kitchen, my the first place that my mind went to was plastic, plastic utensils, mm. um, plastic storage containers. Yeah, I did a big purge a couple of years ago where I got rid of all of my plastic Tupperware and I went and I bought a bunch of Pyrex, yes. um, glass, glass. Yeah. Uh, storage containers to store stuff in because even though they're heavier, um, they're not disposable. They are chemically inert, which this you can't say the same about plastic storage containers Hmm. especially when you're storing wet acidic salty foods in and when those plastic containers start to show wear and tear those are signs that there's a a pretty good chance that that plasticizing compounds are making their way into your food so getting rid of the plastic i think is is really important and and they take up a lot of space so there's so much plastic too i mean everything from the disposable plastic stirs that we use at different gas stations or restaurants or wherever and the plastic silverware all the stuff is going to leach into our food especially if we're using it to cook or to stir something hot and that becomes a problem so i think plastic's a great place to start i'm trying to think of some things that i use there are probably three real essential things that i Mm. use i use an instapot Uh, i often cook rice in it but we also use it to cook other things stews and and things like that yeah cast iron skillet is the go-to every day yeah 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 as an essential, I was gonna I was gonna say that because you can cook so many things in it. There's this misconception that a lot of people have that cast irons are not nonstick, and if you don't take care of it properly, that's true. It it, mm-hmm. it will be messier to cook things like eggs. But if you season a cast iron pan, which I talk about actually in Genius Kitchen, um, it actually turns it into a wonderful nonstick cooking utensil. You can cook yeah. steaks in it. It's so versatile. You can cook eggs in it. And the more you use it, the better it gets, mm-hmm. which is so great. Yeah. I actually, I remember having a cast iron pan that my that my mom used that was passed down to her from her grandmother, from from her mother, mm-hmm. which I don't know how long it was in in her hands, but I know that it was just like this family heirloom, essentially. <laughs> wow. That was, just, wow, that was yeah. in my family for decades. That's amazing. Yeah. That's awesome. And the thing about cast iron pans that's so great is that they're, for the most part, chemically inert, although they actually can increase the iron content of your food. Uh-huh which is a valuable nutritional, I guess, bonus aspect of it for Hmm. premenopausal women. Um, Anybody who's uh, iron deficient anemic, which is a major problem, I think one in four, yeah, one in four people globally is anemic and about half of those cases are due to iron deficiency. Mm. Um, So it's a major, it's a major uh, global health problem. Mm. Also, people who are on low meat diets, vegans, vegans, vegetarians are also prone to iron deficiency. Um, So a cast iron pan is actually a, a worthwhile way of, increasing the iron content of your food yeah i like how you can stick it in the oven if you need to like it's yeah finish a steak finish a steak oh that's amazing yeah Um, huge fan yeah i think where people get caught up it is it is in the gimmicky stuff right it's like you see the george foreman grill you see the instapot you see the air fryer you see a a bread maker and you feel like oh i've got to have each of these things but it's there's really not a right one to get it's really about like 
how do you and your family eat? What meals are you cooking? Because Instant Pot, for example, like Mariah and I don't own one, but uh, my friend has one. And like every time I go over uh, for dinner, they basically cook everything on that Instant Pot. Wow. And it's, uh, yeah, and it works great for them. Yeah. I think the best meals are the ones where there's minimal, you use minimal utensils to cook them, right? And then there's minimal cleanup. Cleanup, I think, is the worst part. It's the most intimidating aspect of home cooking. Mm. And we know that home cooking is valuable from a number of different standpoints. Research shows that when people cook home more, they tend to have healthier BMIs, so they're at less risk for obesity. They have healthier body fat percentages. They have better cardiometabolic health. And they also, there's improved you see improved family dynamics among people that cook at home more because cooking is such mm. an amazing way to show love, right? Yeah. Like I love, I love nothing more than bringing my brothers over. We cook dinners together communally. My, sometimes my friends will come over and join in. It's such a great, um, it's such a great habit to get into. Also the food that you cook at home is healthier. You can cook the same meal at home that you'd get out at a restaurant. It's going to have less calories overall, fewer fat calories and less mm. sodium. Yeah. So, you know, so I think it's a, it's a really amazing leverage point for better health but again it's like the cleanup that that makes people that that i think is one of the mo the more intimidating aspects of home cooking so utilizing like a single pan or a single sheet pan mm -hmm. you know using your oven cooking a bunch of things like sometimes i'll throw a piece of fish uh or actually i'll start with vegetables because vegetables take longer to cook they take longer to to cook they take some time to caramelize so you can cook some veggies like some of my favorites are roasted sweet potatoes or Brussels sprouts or even broccoli, mm. cauliflower, toss them in some extra virgin olive oil, garlic powder, salt, pepper. Mm. You throw them on a sheet pan, you cook them about 350 degrees for, I don't know, you can go for an hour and then the last 20 minutes you want to throw on like a piece of fish. All you've used is one sheet pan and you've got yeah. this amazing meal. Right. Yeah. That's but awesome, man. I think that's when we're talking about minimalism here. We're, we're talking about getting rid of the extraneous anything that's superfluous. And now you can identify what is superfluous for you. And so it's not that there are a strict three or five or seven essentials, mm -hmm. because what is essential for me may be complete junk for Ryan. He's like, man, I'm never going to use a cast iron skillet or whatever. <laughs> and if that was the case, then you wouldn't want him to have it, right? Mm. I remember a house that I lived in a few years ago, my wife and daughter and I moved into, uh, this is in Montana. And uh, when we moved in, it was about, I don't know, seven, eight months in, we needed a microwave something. I realized we didn't have a microwave, but it's just because we never, ever used it up until right. that point. And so a microwave was not essential for us. Mm -hmm. For someone else, it may be essential for them. And so the question is, if you go through all of the things in your cabinets, have I used this in the last 90 days? Am I going to use it within the next 90? And if not, you can give yourself permission to let go because now you're just holding on to stuff that maybe someone else could get value from if you decided to donate it or let go of it. Yeah. Did you end up getting a microwave? Uh, no, but the apartment <laughs> we live in now has one. Oh, okay. And so like, I wouldn't personally ever buy a microwave. Yeah. Um, but I, I would... Uh, I'll, I'll use it from time to time out of convenience or we have one at the office here. It's in the shared sort of kitchenette that mm. we have. And so, um, although would you advise against microwave use? Yeah, that's it. Um, I don't personally use my microwave very often, although, uh, the research that I've seen, you know, I don't, I don't want people to be afraid of their microwave. Mm -hmm. Um, I personally don't use it very often because one thing that I've learned while becoming a better chef over the past, and I, I wouldn't call myself a chef, but I one thing that I've learned over the course of becoming a better cook over the past, I don't know, decade of my life is that we really have to embrace low and slow cooking, um, which is sort of a, a, a culinary art form that's been lost mm -hmm. because 
today we're always on the go, right? We want our food like an yeah. hour ago. Right. And so the microwave, I think, yeah, it's a great way to heat up the water molecules in your food, right? But it doesn't, it's not going to, it's not a, I would probably use it more for reheating food than for, than for cooking food. A lot of people will cook like, you know, instant frozen dinners in their, in their microwaves and, and stuff like that. That's not something that I typically do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I get- also, I'm also concerned about what microwaving is going to do to, um, lipids, which is something that I, I, mm, interesting. Yeah. I mean, I would be, I would feel comfortable microwaving, for example, vegetables and sweet potatoes. Um, actually I do do that sometimes because cooking a sweet potato in the oven can take a really long time. So veggies and stuff like that, I'm actually more, um, amenable to cooking in a microwave. However, it's, uh, fattier foods, like foods that contain compounds that could potentially be oxidized, especially lipids, mm-hmm. like, you know, polyunsaturated fatty acids, um, cholesterol. I would be probably less inclined to put those to, f- to put foods that, are richer in those hmm. components in the microwave. Interesting. The slow cooking made me think of the sous vide, which my wife and I use like pretty much every day. Yeah. That is, yeah, that's amazing. What's amazing to me is like you have this water set at a cer- certain temperature. You could stick your finger in there and like it's it's not scalding, but yet it's cooking the food. I don't know. It's really fascinating to me. Sous vide is a, is a pretty good way of adding plastic to your food. I don't know. Oh, yeah. That's with the I, bag. Yeah. Unless you do a glass. There are glass sous vide. Are there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but that that's pretty rare. And mm. that's the reason we stopped using the sous vide because you're wrapping your food in plastic, well, basically. Yeah, I mean, we, yeah, you're right. I mean, we do have these like reusable bags that allegedly... Silicone is fine. Yeah, that's that's what it is. Oh, yeah, nice. It's, they're yeah, like yeah, silicone cool. bags. Silicone yeah. is, is chemically L- inert. Let me ask you real quick about um, nonstick stuff. So like Teflon... Uh, is is it true that like that stuff eventually gets in your food? Kind of like plastic eventually gets in your food. Yeah. So Teflon, Teflon is is made using a compound. Well, it's a category of compounds called PFAS substances. Mm-hmm. Actually, to say substances is a little redundant because it stands for per and polyfluoroalkyl related substances. So it's sort <laughs> of like saying ATM machine. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a bit of a, a misnomer, but um. But these substances are well known to be endocrine disrupting compounds, mm. and I wouldn't be too concerned with using it occasionally. However, in real world cooking conditions and, and kitchen conditions, right? Mm-hmm. Nonstick pans are usually we don't care for them the way that they ought to be cared for. I've I can't tell you how many times I've been at friends' homes mm-hmm. and they have nonstick pans and they're using metal uh, utensils oh, wow. yeah. on them, which is not something that you want to do. Also, people tend to stack because of the limited storage space in a kitchen, right? They tend to stack other metal um, cooking tools on top of the nonstick pan. So that leads to chipping, wear and tear. So you definitely uh, don't want to use a Teflon pan that shows any sign of... I mean, I I personally wouldn't use a Teflon pan in my own home. But Mm. um, with regard to any nonstick pan, you don't want to use it if there's any wear and tear. And, And under real world conditions, there just tends to be a lot of wear and tear. Yeah. Yeah. You're not you don't really want to use a, a a dishwasher to clean them and most people do. You don't want to overheat them. Most people do. They get hot really easily and yeah. really quickly. Yeah. Um so that is the problem that they that they leach these endocrine disrupting and and potentially cancer causing um wow. carcinogenic compounds into your food. And so that's why I don't recommend the use of nonstick pans. There is a brand out there that makes uh, a nonstick pan that they claim is free of PFAS chemicals. Okay. Um, I haven't like vetted their claims or anything like that. I do have one of these pans in my house and uh, I'll use it very occasionally for certain like egg dishes. Like that's pretty much all that I'll use that pan for. Mm. But in general, I, I primarily will try to get by with a with my cast iron. Yeah. And I think, you know, 
an important thing to note too is like you mentioned before, with the proper care and the proper cooking technique, pretty much anything can be a nonstick, <laughs> a nonstick pan, really. Yeah, I, yeah. My my wife and I, we bought some. Uh, I forget where we went to get them. We brought them home and I opened it up, um, and we were we were had our eyes on the non or yeah on the Teflon. Open it up and they were we got the wrong box. Mm. So um, I was like, well, let me look up and see, you know, and like after doing some research, everything that, well, most of what you said about the carcinogens and cancer causing, I was like, well, maybe it is good that we got the the regular metal pans and like with the right seasoning, like they are awesome. Like there is, yeah, it's very, very much like a tough one if, if when we use it right. Yeah. I mean, I, I just think what a shame it is that people that are that are taking the time and taking the effort to cook at home are then exposing themselves unwittingly in most cases to environmental toxins mm. like PFAS chemicals, mm. like phthalates, like uh, bisphenol compounds that mm. are ever present in the in the modern kitchen. Right. Yeah. But all it takes is minimizing the use of plastic, getting rid of the nonstick pans and you're really doing your your endocrine system uh, a favor by um, by getting by minimizing your exposure to those chemicals. Yeah. They're called um, they're called forever chemicals because they just they hmm. they continue to persist in the environment. We don't humans don't break them down. They don't biodegrade. Oh wow! Yeah, so they're a major environmental problem. There was a Mark Ruffalo film a couple of years ago about uh, about this and just how how treacherous and scary it really is. Hmm. Um, and industry doesn't care, you know. And also. There's not even good, the, the way that they affect the body, I think we might have even touched on this in the, on the last time that I was on your guys' show, but typically with toxins, and this is what makes an, uh, endocrine disruptors so, so dangerous, is that typically with toxins or with any chemical, the dose makes the poison, right? Mm. But with endocrine disrupting compounds, they follow a toxicity curve that's non-monotonic, meaning they might be toxic at a, at a, at a low dose, go quiet at a certain dose and then show a completely different effect at a higher dose. So this low dose toxicity is what's unusual, right? Because mm -hmm. the toxicity um, curve of, of every other toxin is linear, right? right? There's a certain threshold beyond which a compound becomes dangerous. And underneath that, it's assumed to be not dangerous or maybe even beneficial, right? Because we have this concept of hormetic stress, right? Mm, yeah. Which is why, which is how exercise benefits us, which is how certain plant compounds like curcumin and turmeric, just as an example, mm. benefits us, right? It's like it would be toxic at very, very high doses, but at lower doses, it actually provides a, a beneficial effect because it's it spurs a, prote a, pr a pr protective response in the body, mm. which we benefit from. Yeah. Um, these synthetic man-made in uh, endocrine disrupting compounds, they follow a curve that's more U-shaped, which is very unusual, and it makes yeah. them very difficult to study. And this is one of the reasons why there is debate, right, even in this within the scientific community about how worried we ought to be about these compounds. Mm. So, you, but you don't have to worry about it if you or you're avoiding it altogether. Exactly. Right? I'm not worried about Teflon in my house because it doesn't exist in my house. There right? you go. I'm yeah. not worried about the bread maker in my house because it doesn't exist in my house, and. I'm not worried about anything I haven't used in the last 90 days because if it's there, mm. we let go of it. Now, I will say this, being married with a child, we have more things in our tiny kitchen than I would if I was a single dude, although it wouldn't be appreciably different, I don't think. I think the fundamentals, and I think that gets back to the heart of Melanie's question here, mm. what are the fundamentals for you? Maybe it's a stainless steel skillet or pan, right? Yeah. Maybe it's a cast iron 
skillet. Maybe it's an instant pot. Maybe it's some sort of rice cooker. Maybe it's a, a air fryer. Yeah. Maybe it is a George Foreman grill. I don't know. I don't have one of those <laughs> things. This actually worked pretty good. But anyway, I don't yeah. own one. But <laughs> and the question is, like, what are you actually going to use? And if it's, I am going to use the George Foreman grill every day. Now I don't know. There's probably all kinds of Teflon on that. Oh yeah, there is. But if, you're, if there's a a non toxic equivalent to that that we want to laugh at and sort of sneer and say it's silly, fine. But if you're going to use that thing every day, mm-hmm. then that seems to me to be the most essential thing for you. Yeah. I do want to move on to our callers here. If you have a question or comment for our podcast, you can call us 406-219-7839 or email a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com. It looks like we have a question here from Laura in Pennsylvania. My question has to do with something we we have to handle on a day-to-day basis, which is cleaning our homes. And I'm wondering if the two of you would be interested in sharing what you use from a minimal, minimalist perspective. So Max, Laura here wants to know about cleaning. And I thought this was an appropriate question for you because one of the things we do, we try to be really healthy and keep everything clean. And then we use all these really toxic cleaners in our kitchens mm. and on our devices. And and quite often we're spraying our fruit with things and all of this different stuff. And I wanted, I wanted to talk to you about, obviously we want to avoid sort of foodborne illnesses. And so we want to be safe. Let's talk a bit about cleaning and food safety here. Yeah, it's an important topic. Um, well, typically we're not hunters, at least most of us are not, um, we're not gatherers. And so most of the food that we buy is coming from a modern supermarket and we, we've lost our connection to where our food comes from. Essentially. Mm -hmm. I mean, we go to the supermarket and we put things in our shopping cart, we bring them home with regard to animal products, fish and things like that. Surfaces are really where bacteria can congregate. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you want to make sure that your food is well cooked from the standpoint of of the surface temperature, right? But internally, I think we as a culture have gotten into this habit of overcooking our food. Yes, which is a which is a, a major problem. Um, certainly from a culinary standpoint, possibly also from a health standpoint. Right. Um, but uh, <clears throat> but yeah, I'm not a big advocate of of overcooking your food, provided that you're cooking it properly and you're cooking the the external surface. And with regard to cleaning utensils, um, and cleaning, uh, products and sprays specifically. Um, I actually, there's a, you can use vinegar. Vinegar is a, is a great antimicrobial. Um, it's not good at killing viruses, but at a certain, at a certain concentration, vinegar is actually a great, um, and totally non-toxic way to clean surfaces in your kitchen. Mm. Um, yeah, I, uh, I typically, you know, I'll char the outside of of red meat if I'm cooking it. Chicken, certainly, you want to make sure is thoroughly cooked. But even chicken, just to just to give you an example, people have this fear about eat, eating undercooked chicken. And I'm yeah. not just to be clear, I'm not recommending that anybody go out and eat undercooked chicken. But the reason why chicken is so much more dangerous from a food safety standpoint than beef is not because of anything inherent to a chicken, right? Mm-hmm. It's that because food production has become so mechanized, right? Mm. And it's done so swiftly from the standpoint of in- industrial meat production. Chickens have small bodies, right? They're quickly evis- uh, eviscerated, right? And the the possibility of fecal con- contamination on the flesh of, of, of chicken, of raw chicken, is so high. Mm. Whereas on a cow, it's much different, right? So with chicken, it's just a lot more easy to catch a foodborne pathogen 
than it is with beef. But if you look to certain parts of the world, like in Japan, they eat chicken sashimi. It's called tarashi. Oh, oh wow. wow. Yeah, that I actually exists yeah, in Japan. Yeah, so there's nothing inherently dangerous about it. The, the problem is that modern food, right? We've become so disconnected from our food. And that's why it's very dangerous in the, in the, you know, in the modern world. Um, if you're shopping in a modern supermarket and buying poultry, you definitely want to make sure that it's well cooked. Yeah. I've heard of people eating raw pork, which sounds crazy to me too. But I think I, it's it's the same thing yeah. though, because what we're talking about here, it, it part of it is just the Western palate is so familiar with cooked, heavily cooked, overcooked meats, charred, and, and, yeah, yeah, charred foods, <laughs> charred broccoli, all all yeah. of these things that are that are so heavily cooked. When you watch videos of the Hadza, and the first thing they do is like go for a raw liver after hunting an animal like a deer. Uh, and you realize like, oh, they're actually prizing the raw liver because of its nutrient density. And we're going to actually talk about that quite a bit on the Maximal episode this week. I want to talk about paleo diets and vegan diets. How, oh, yeah. can, we, how, how can we optimize our, our nutrient density? Because we put these labels on things and not really st- step back and think, well, am I actually nourishing myself? Because you can be incredibly nourished on one version of a paleo diet, and you can be really deficient on another version of that same diet. And so what we're talking about here is, yes, being safe with our food. You're cleaning the kitchen. I use a simple like Myers you know, or yeah. um, Dr. Bronner's, you know, something that is one of these natural cleaners and just a little bit of soap and water. And that cleans the counters just fine. I don't mm. need a bunch of antibacterial sprays. I don't need bleach on my countertops. Mm. Yeah, you know, I, sh- I shared a recipe recently on. Uh, <laughs> I shared a buffalo wing recipe on my on my Instagram recently um, because a lot of people have this idea. That it was around uh, the Super Bowl, and people have this idea that buffalo wings are inherently unhealthy, right? But there's actually nothing inherently unhealthy about them. You can bake them. You can make a sauce using healthy ingredients. You can get high quality chicken. Uh, so I actually, I love to eat buffalo wings. Great protein source, great source of collagen, vitamin K2. Um, and of course they're delicious. But a lot of people, I think when I shared it, I got, I got a lot of feedback. People were shocked that I didn't rinse my chicken first. This is something that I guess hmm. people do. They rinse their meat yeah. before they, before oh, they wow. cook it, which is not something that you should do. There's, there's no need to rinse your meat or to clean it in any capacity beforehand. In fact, in so doing, you're actually increasing the possibility that you are going to spread uh, whatever bacteria is on the surface <laughs> oh, wow. throughout your kitchen, on, you know, onto surfaces. So you definitely don't want to rinse your chicken, rinse your beef, fish. There's, there's no need. Mm. Laura, if you want a podcast to listen to while you are cleaning your kitchen, I'm going to send you a copy of our Love People Use Things event in New York City. We just uh, we were on tour. We did an event with uh, TK Coleman and Seth Godin. It was one of my favorite events. Uh, you can check out all of our previous events at theminimalists.com slash previous if you want to listen or watch any of those events. But Laura, we'll send you a copy of that. Uh, do we have anything from the live stream? Any questions maybe we could tap into Alabama? We do. We have a few. We'll start with Lauren's question. How do you cut down on food in the house when fridges and pantries are overflowing? I think this is a common problem. Hmm. What is it that Americans throw away? What percentage of their, their groceries? Like for up to 40%. Ooh, it's massive. And it's a major yeah. source of greenhouse gas, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, people love to, to argue about dietary patterns that are more supportive of environmental health, right? It's actually, 
I mean, you'd be doing the environment such a huge favor by simply not wasting food. Mm, it's right. it's a it's a massive problem. Well, actually, one of the reasons, one of the studies that I stumbled upon that um, inspired me to to write Genius Foods, my first book, was a Tufts University study that found that uh, there's this advice that is still echoed amongst those in the nutritional orthodoxy that really to be healthy, just eat all things in moderation. But this study actually found contrary evidence that people who adhere to this eat everything in moderation advice actually tend to eat a lot more junk food. They're more likely to consume sugar, sweetened beverages, which we know is not good for us. Um, mm. Confectionery products and the like. They found in this study that the healthiest people buy a narrower range of, of more healthful foods and they just buy those foods on loop. So to me, uh, that's what I do. I go to the supermarket and I know that there are certain staples that I want to have in my house at all times. Mm -hmm. Wild salmon, which is now, you can find it in the freezer section, right? At, at major wholesale retailers. Right. Um, eggs, a wonderful, I call eggs a cognitive multivitamin because an egg yolk literally contains everything that nature has deemed important to grow a healthy brain. Mm. Dark chocolate, love having dark chocolate in my house. It's a crowd pleaser. If you have kids, kids love it. Um, so many, so many great things to have. For me, Honeycrisp apples. I'm always, uh, I love apple season. I'm such a big fan of, of Honeycrisp. So that, that's basically it is I go to the supermarket. I already have a, a, a list quasi written in the back of my, in the back of my mind. Mm. And it's also like for the same reason that you guys wear the same things every day, yeah. right? It, it, it's like, it reduces decision fatigue. Yeah. It reduces analysis paralysis. So I think that that's a really important part of, um, of, of buying narrower things, of making your time in the supermarket easy. You could also, there are simple um, hacks that you can use, like shopping around the perimeter. I think, I mean, this is fairly common knowledge for people who are already health conscious, but supermarkets are all designed the same way. You have the fresh, perishable food on the outskirts of the supermarket because that's where the refrigeration is. And it's the aisles where you find the shelf-stable packaged processed foods. Now, there are some good things in the aisles, I'm not going to lie. Extra virgin olive oil can be found in the aisles, vinegars. I'm a huge fan of vinegars, spices, salts, you know, peppers, things like that. But it's the it's the perimeter of the supermarket where you find the beef, you find the eggs, you find the poultry, you find the fish, you find the produce, fruits and vegetables. And so to me, that's I think the the easiest way to cut down on what actually ends up in your in your shopping cart. Mm. You have a few go-tos. Whenever I go, so it's like organic grass-fed ground beef rice white rice specifically um japanese sweet potatoes because i can tolerate them um when i eat them they, they don't cause a whole bunch of inflammation mm. and there are a few other staples but i uh, avocados lemons limes yeah. lots of salt himalayan <laughs> sea salt yeah and and those same things, I like just stay on the list every time I go. And then there may be things sort of on the periphery there, but there's a handful, half a dozen things that I'm getting every single time. Mm. But that really does prevent that decision fatigue. I know what I'm getting when I go there. And if I need something else, it'll also be on the list. One other thing I do is I don't buy anything that isn't on my list. Mm. That saves me money because it prevents all impulse buys. Even if I get there and I'm like, oh, I really meant to put blueberries on the list, I'll refuse to buy them. Mm just to create that that little bit of resistance for me so I'm not overspending on impulse purchases when I go to the grocery. Mm. Yeah, I think that's smart. There are also other supermarkets that that kind of take the decision fatigue aspect out of it or at least dial it down. Like there's Trader Joe's, which I don't know if, if that's if it's available to everybody who's listening to this, but um but you know instead of having 12 different varieties of peanut butter, they have two, 
which right. I, I think is uh, a lot easier. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely suffer from this too. My kitchen is packed with with things, mostly because I get sent a lot of products, which mm. I enjoy. I enjoy trying different things occasionally. But if I don't enjoy something, I um, will usually try to... I won't throw it out because, again, that's food waste. We want to minimize food waste. But I have uh, I have neighbors. Like, there's a 12-year-old boy that lives that lives part of the within the complex that I live in and uh, I'm always like offloading products that I get sent to him he loves it <laughs> so it's That's um, great. yeah yeah it's it's awesome yeah and then the other thing to think about is expired food right we did a whole episode on expired things in our lives we talked about some expired food in our kitchens and and other things actually podcast Sean if you could put a link to that in the show notes the episode we did about expired things we also talked about expired relationships in our lives expired (laughs) material possessions outside of the kitchen as well shout out to our patrons we'll get back to some more live stream questions and comments during the maximal episode this week but first Ryan what time is it? You know what time it is. It's time for the lightning round where we answer your text messages. You can text your questions, your comments, your smart remarks to 937-202-4654. Yes, indeed. Now, Max, as you know, during the lightning round, this is where we and our guests, we try to answer questions with a short, shareable, less than 140 character response. We put the text to these minimal maxims in the show notes so people can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if they like. And now, thanks to our good friend, Jessica Lynn Williams, Social Jess, you can find all of our Minimal Maxims in one place, minimalmaxims.com. We have a question today from Jessica, not Social Jess, but a different Jessica (laughs) from the text messages. Do you have any advice for cooking in small kitchens, especially when counter space is limited? Mm. So this is the perfect question for me, Max, because I have a tiny kitchen where I, I live. Yeah. You know, we have like a, a 900 square foot uh, apartment, and but the kitchen itself is hyper-functional, but really small. And it's a real pain when all three of us, me and my wife and my daughter, are trying to be in the kitchen together. It's always me and my wife, like she's cooking, I'm washing dishes, and Ella just wants to like run through there <laughs> with her eyes closed and her arms out <laughs> and to see what she can disrupt. And so... Here's my pithy answer, and then we can we can talk about it. My pithy answer is countertop clutter constrains creativity in the kitchen. How's that for alliteration? Ooh, Nicodemus. That's good, man. Nice. <laughs> the, the big problem that we often have in our kitchens is countertop clutter. And the reason we have that, and this permeates the rest of our homes as well, if we have flat surfaces, we often feel compelled to fill those flat surfaces with things. They become the destination to set things on, yeah, right? Yeah. And so we have only a few things on our kitchen counter. We have a paper towel holder. We have a coffee maker or a coffee uh, uh, pot, you know, the water boiler. And then we have a coffee grinder as well. Mm. And that's all we have regularly. Everything else has a home in a cabinet. Mm. Now that makes it a little inconvenient. If we had a toaster, for example, I would put it underneath the, and every time I need to use it, I would pull it out and mm-hmm. then toast the bread. We, we do this with the Instapot. Yeah. We do this. I mean, everyone does this with their skillets for the most part right now. You're not constantly leaving everything piled on top of your stove, right? right? And so I find that the problem with kitchen clutter often has to do with actually having too much counter space mm. because then we feel compelled to put all of our things on the counters. But if you say no to that up front, you add a little bit of inconvenience, a little bit of friction, it actually adds a tremendous amount of calm to your kitchen. Yeah. I I mean I, I think I suffer from from that as well. I mean, because I have 
what was important to me before moving into the place that I'm currently in was having a, a lot of counter space because I love cooking. And I create a lot of content in my kitchen. And um, and I think you're right. Is that the more counter space you have, the more inclined you are to put stuff on it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but I think one of the one of the best tips that I can give to people is to clean as they go while they're cooking, which is not something that most people do. Most people will cook and then they save the cleanup for after dinner, which just makes it, first of all, it makes it really intimidating from a visual standpoint. That's why I think many people are inclined to put it off until t- the next morning. Oh, myself gross. included, right? I hate it. Yeah. I hate you it. wake up to a mess. You wake mm. up to a mess. Yeah. It's not a great way to start the day. Um, so I think getting into the habit of cleaning as you go, whether you know, you've just used a knife and then you go and you rinse the knife afterwards, obviously with soap, um, requisite soap and water, um, or a, if you're using a cutting board, which by the way, I think is a, a wood cutting board is another kitchen staple next to the cast iron pan. Mm. Gotta have a good wood, wood cutting board. It also doubles. It's one of these kitchen utensils that has, that has like a side hustle. It's, a, it's obviously very useful as a cutting board, keeping your knives um, in good shape. Doubles is a great serving platter for meats and mm. stuff. I love to bring out like a cooked ribeye or a rack of ribs on a on the cutting board to the table as the centerpiece. So great. Um, wiping that off as you're as you're using it. Um, cleaning as you go, I think is a is a is a major. It helps from the standpoint of like psychology, mm-hmm. right? But it also helps with time economy, the economy of time. Yeah, yeah. Ryan, you got something pithy for yeah, us? Yeah, my pithy answer is this. It's not the size of the space that matters. <laughs> it's how you use it. <laughs> you know, uh, I think that's so important. It man. really is. No, because like what you're talking about with um, everything, having a home in a cabinet, what you're talking about cleaning as you go, What are, these are boundaries. These are things that uh, we've set up to help us have a clutter-free kitchen. So yeah, again, it doesn't matter the size of the space. It's, it's how you use it. What boundaries have you set up for yourself? Yeah. And and by the way, having a smaller space forces you to have more boundaries, right? Because you just don't have this. I wish we had a slightly larger kitchen mm. because there are, it's a bit disorganized in one or two of the cabinets in a way that I just dislike. Mm. Everything fits in there, but I'd love to have more space between my appliances. And, and yet we have enough space because we've determined we can't overflow these boundaries. Whatever boundaries we've set up here, we're not going to go beyond that. we got a whole bunch more to talk about. Ryan, uh, before we do that, though, real quick, right here, right now, one thing going on in the life of the minimalists. This is coming out April 5th, so we're going back out on tour this month. We had to cancel two our last two American tour stops mm. because of weather. Yeah. We're going to be in Chicago and Minneapolis this month. I think there's still a few tickets left as of this recording. Come on out. Say hi. we got special guests in both cities. TheMinimalists.com slash tour. We're also going to be in Canada later this year. You can find those dates over there as well. And recordings of all of our previous live events over at patreon.com slash the minimalist but it's my favorite thing that we do in fact well before we start recording we were trying to talk max into maybe bringing his podcast the the genius life on the road as well (laughs) super down it looks i mean just from social media it looks like you guys have so much fun oh it is the audience loves it and i've never done like a a a road tour like taking taking my podcast the genius life Mm -hmm. on the road so well, this is yeah. our 10th tour yeah. in 12 years. And I tell you, it's been fun every time. Every Heck one yeah. of them has been different. It's just interesting how, so like right now we're recording this, it's going out to an audience. But when you have the audience like right there responding Oof. and interacting with the podcast, it just, yeah, it's freaking awesome. 
Yeah, it really is. It's our favorite thing. Ryan gives a talk about minimalism. He gets up there. And what's nice about this is quite often people will drag a friend or a family member with them who's never heard of minimalism. And they keep hearing their spouse, their husband or wife rave about this minimalist thing or these minimalist guys or whatever. But they don't really have a clue. And so half the people in the audience are really caught up there deep on the podcast. They know what's going on. The other half of the people are like, hey, I'm just here. <laughs> I'm here to support my spouse. <laughs> and, and what we love about it is Ryan will catch him up to speed. He'll, he'll give a 15-minute talk about minimalism. What is minimalism? He'll hurl about 400 stats at you <laughs> 400 <rapidly>. Yeah. <laughs> and he has like uh, a Guinness world, uh, the, the Guinness record of stats. He's not yes. minimalist with the stats. No. no. <laughs> well, he is. He's decluttering. He's getting them off the stage right, immediately. Yeah. <laughs> so many stats. Anyway, and I'll do a, a book reading from our book, Love People Use Things. And then we do a live version of the podcast. We often have music to open up the shows or we'll have a special podcast guest during these events. We did 20 for the Love People Use Things Tour. You can find those cities, Minneapolis, Chicago, Toronto, Vancouver, and we may be doing a few other cities in Canada as well by the time this comes out. TheMinimalists.com slash tour to find the city closest to you, or you can find recordings of live events over there as well. Alabama, what else you got for us? Here are some of the voicemail comments and insights from our listeners. Hey, Josh and Ryan, this is Andy from Portland, Oregon. I wanted to call to give you guys a packing tip. So I have done a lot of traveling in my life. I used to travel for work four to five days a week. Um, Since then, now I just travel for fun usually. But one of the best uh, things that I came across to really minimize what I travel with is to pack in advance to try to pack for my trip a couple days and really lay out my outfits for each day, see what items I can mix and match. Then I put it all in the suitcase and I wait. And then two days before the trip, I'll go in and say, what can I remove? What do I not think that I'll need? I find that when I revisit my outfits or my planning, that it's easier for me to take out a couple excess items. I like to consider myself somewhat fashionable. So whether it's um, a bag or a pair of shoes or a shirt, I usually find that I can take out one or two items. This has allowed me to go to China and Russia for three weeks, both for fun and for work, all in a carry-on. Hi, this is Tracy from New Jersey, and I'm responding to Amy's dilemma with the pictures that she had from the passing of her father. This happened to us a few years ago when my husband's parents both died within a a short span of each other. And we took all of the pictures from their home in order to try to organize them for the family. What worked really well for us is I went through the pictures instead of him because I was more dispassionate about it. Uh, The pictures didn't hold a lot of memories for me. And I think he would have agonized over each and every photo. The first thing I did is I separated any photo that didn't have people in it, and I got rid of them. My in-laws loved taking pictures of landscapes and flowers and birds, and they were beautiful, but they had no meaning to us at all. I'm sure they gave my in-laws great pleasure, but they didn't hold any meaning for us, so those immediately went. The pictures that were left had people in them, and I sat down with my husband and I said, identify the people so I can write it on the back. And if he didn't know who the people were, the picture went. It obviously, again, held no meaning for him. 
There were a few that we reached out to his siblings and said, do you know who these people are? And if we could identify them, it went into the keep pile. Then finally, we went to the keep pile and we looked for things that were similar. If there were 10 pictures from a party, nine of them probably went. And doing this over a period of about two weeks, we whittled the pictures down about 95%. And the ones that were left, we scanned and we made an album, uh, a digital album, and we gave a copy to each of our siblings. This worked really well. It brought up a lot of nice memories, and it saved my husband the agony of going through each and every picture. All right, y'all. Big thanks to Max Lugavir for yeah. joining us today. He'll be with us on the Maxwell episode. Uh, turn to the wide shot, Jordan, no more. If you take a look, we our desk right now is full. <laughs> it's cluttered with snacks. <laughs> we're going to have a feast. Uh, well, I don't. we're going to make Max eat all of these <laughs> right. on camera. We're going to have a snack eating contest. It's an ASMR edition. <laughs> He'll be chewing the, what is that, a crunch bar? I don't know. Anyway, I'm going to have you scrutinize these. Tell me what is amazing. Tell me what is less amazing. We've got so much stuff here. This is literally, I just went downstairs into our little shared kitchenette area and got whatever snacks that we have. This is what we provide for the team to mm-hmm. snack on whenever they would like. Yeah. And so uh, we're going to talk about that on the Maxwell episode. Check out his book, though. It is called Genius kitchen it is 300 pages of simple recipes kitchen hacks and nutrition tips that you won't find anywhere else you can also check out his podcast it's called genius life we'll put a link to both of those in the show notes you can also follow max on instagram and twitter i think it's just at max lugavir at both right yeah correct max thanks so much yeah. for being here thanks today, for having me man you're awesome well for our added value segment this week ryan since um Dieting can often be like a roller coaster. Yes. And we're going to talk a lot about food on the Maxwell episode. I thought we'd end this minimal episode today. Well, if you listen to the audio version with a Lumineers song. Lumineers just has, they have a new album that just came out. And the album is called Bright Side. And this song is called Roller Coaster. <laughs> if you're uh, watching the YouTube version, I think you can click up here, right, Jordan? Does that work? You click up here and there's going to be a, a video that you can listen to. Here's a. Uh, Roller coaster from Lumineers. By the way, Max, we got a bunch more surprise questions this week. Like, is the most minimalist diet vegan, keto, or paleo? What food should we completely remove from our diet? Plus, a million more questions for Max and the Minimalist. And if you want to hear all that, check out the Minimalist private podcast this week. Visit patreon.com slash the Minimalist to subscribe and get your personal link so that our weekly private podcast plays in your favorite podcast app. You also gain immediate access to hundreds of hours of private archives, recordings of live events, exclusive home tours, and our private community of thousands of open-minded minimizers like you. You can follow The Minimalists on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Minimalists. If you want our podcast show notes in your inbox, sign up for our email list over at theminimalists.com. On behalf of Ryan Nicodemus, Podcast Sean, Malabama, Jordan No More, Social Jess, Danny Unknown, Emma the Immigrant, and the rest of our team, I'm Joshua Fields Milburn, reminding you to love people and use things, because the opposite never works. Thanks for being here, y'all. See you next time. <laughs>